Hello, and welcome to episode 2 of Icy Monsters. As usual, we'll be starting out with content warnings and disclaimers. While this is not necessarily a horror podcast, there are horror elements to it. We'll be going over the supernatural, some mythology and folklore, which can get fairly gruesome. This episode specifically, there will be extra warnings for death, trauma, and substance abuse. So this one's a little deeper than usual. As for disclaimers, again, I am not an expert in folklore or mythology by any means. There are facts that I can get wrong or may purposely decide to twist to fit my story a little better. With that out of the way, let's get on with the show. Alright, now a quick note before I start narrating this second chapter, since RJ has yet to let me live it down. Last chapter, I talked about going down and seeing Jessica down in the armory, which I guess is a little funny, uh, since we are an international organization, as the name says and all, and Jessica works specifically in the Northeast HQ building, so that just went right over my head. So if you don't work in that building, just ignore that. Anyway, I picked out uh, this next entry we'll be going over on much the same basis that I used to decide we'd go ghosts first, that being that these are creatures you are going to be facing fairly often, whether or not you actually see them there. It also sets another precedent that I wanted to put out early, that we don't hunt all monsters we come across. And honestly, not all supernatural entities that you'll see could even rightly be called monsters. Now, last chapter, I said we don't hunt ghosts, but after the chewing out I got for that statement, I've been told that I must state that sentiment is my own personal opinion and not company policy. This chapter, though, it is company policy that we don't hunt these. Why then does it have an entry? Well, so you know what to do when you inevitably come face to face with one. This chapter is on psychopomps. Now, that is a fairly broad umbrella term, and that is more of a job title or description, honestly, than a name. It encompasses a wide variety of different creatures and beings, but we'll get it more into specifics with the manual. Or, I will at least, if the manual doesn't. Let's see what we have here, though. Entity. Psychopomp. No AKA on this one, I guess. Not exactly a great sign that the manual is going to get specific. Though, in their defense on this one, there are so many different psychopomps in the handling procedure, so to speak, are probably all going to be the same anyway, so see why they might save space here and just be general. Speaking of general, general characteristics. Non-hostile, capable of interacting with the souls of the dead and travel between our living world and the many different afterlifes. Admittedly, that is pretty much where the similarities end for most psychopomps. Natural range, worldwide, threat level, lethal? Not sure if that threat level is entirely accurate. Most psychopomps don't actually kill you, they just carry you off. I suppose that's fair, RJ. Enough of them can forcibly take your soul, and probably better just assume all of them can kill you, whether or not they actually will. 
Let's see, notes and handling procedures. This is a non-hunt entity. These creatures serve a natural, necessary job in the world that should not be disturbed. As the ones charged with bringing the souls of the deceased to their allotted afterlife, it is imperative that they are able to do so without interruption. Stories do exist of humans cheating or even capturing death, and there are methods of doing so. However, these methods are classified, and any hunter attempting to access this information will be put on suspension. Any hunter caught enacting any of these methods will be terminated immediately. As it often falls in our purview to hunt the undead, monsters that are deemed abhorrent by psychopomps, the IC organization is a tentative alliance with these entities. It should be known, however, that your position as an employee of our organization will not save you from being taken if and when you die. It is unlikely that you will ever see a psychopomp. However, you will be in the presence of one very regularly as a hunter. If you do see a psychopomp in whatever form it may take, you didn't. Your only handling procedure for these entities is to ignore them and let them do their job. Well, while not terribly educational, that was certainly straight to the point, so I'll give the organization credit for that. The manual's absolutely right here, though. If you do happen to encounter a psychopomp, your best course of action is to just leave it be. Now, I know this second monster I've told you to just walk away from. I promise we'll get into actual hunting material here soon. But it's important that you know about these things. Because, again, as the book said, you are going to be around one of these on pretty much every hunt, whether or not you actually see it. But, as I promised, I'll be going a little more in-depth on some of the psychopomps you might run into out in your hunts, just to have a few more details for you. Now, these are the, just the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. It is by no means an exhaustive list, but I think it's a decent basis to get an idea of what you might come across out there. Now, let's see here. I have those notes somewhere. There we are. All right. Um, Anubis here is the first one I got. Another reason not to mess around with psychopomps is that a good few of them are deities in their respective religions. Honestly, one of the more involved psychopomps, Anubis doesn't just guide the souls to the afterlife. He's also over the embalming process, judgment of the dead, and guards the tombs. So, go ahead and add that to the list of reasons not to go opening up pyramids. Uh, Hermes is an interesting addition to this list, in my opinion. Because being a psychopomp seems to be just an add-on to his other duties. I mean, sure, it's not uncommon for psychopomps to have other jobs, too, like Anubis we just covered, but usually those are other responsibilities related to death. Hermes is over merchants, messengers, thieves, heralds, is a bit of an inventor, oh, and also happens to help out with bringing the dead to Hades. I don't know. Though thinking about it, I guess it makes some sense. Hermes is always carrying something from one place to another, be it mercantile goods, messages, or stolen goods, so I guess throwing some souls in his bag isn't too big of a stretch to his responsibilities. Now there's Mercury as well on the other side of things. Very similar to Hermes, but it's important you know that they are different entities and should be treated as such, just with all the Greek and Roman gods. The main point of the century is to teach you how to not tick off a psychopomp, so to keep with that lesson, do not refer to Hermes and Mercury as the same guy or just Interchangeable names, they will both take offense to that. But to be fair, they do have pretty much the same responsibilities. Ooh, 
Thanatos, another one from the Greek pantheon. He's a bit different from his, I guess, co-worker here is an appropriate enough term. Uh, for starters, Thanatos is death personified. He's not the only personification of death. I'll talk about a few more of those as I go on, but he is one of them. Another difference is that taking the souls of the dead to Hades is his only job. Uh, one where he is rather indifferent and cruel in. Now, those of you that have taken a Greek religion or culture class will probably be most familiar with Thanatos from the story of Sisyphus, where Sisyphus managed to trick and even trap Thanatos, preventing himself and everyone else from being able to die. Now, this might be given some of you ideas. Oh, if Sisyphus can trap death, surely I can too. Well, let me remind you how the rest of that story goes. While it did prevent people from dying, it did not prevent injuries or pain. Greek soldiers at war suddenly find themselves stabbed, sliced up, and mangled in various ways, but unable to slip off into the release of death, instead having to sit there and live through the unending pain. And then there is the final state of Sisyphus himself. Eventually, Thanatos did get out. Sisyphus did die, cheated death again for a little bit, but was eventually sentenced to an eternity of rolling a boulder uphill, just to have it roll back down again over and over. So, before you go trying to cheat or trap death, think about the people that you will be condemning to pained existence of being unable to die, and if that's not enough, think about what your creative punishment will be when death does eventually come for you. Because no matter how clever you think you are, any trap you lay, any trick you play is temporary. But death? Death is eternal. And it will get you eventually. Anyway, who else do I have on here? Um, Valkyries. Moving away from deities a little bit. Uh, probably one of the more famous groups of psychopomps. Now, little misconception about Valkyries is they only take great warriors off to Valhalla, the behest of Hoden. But there is actually another group of Valkyries that work for Freya and take who she deems to be the most worthy dead off to Folkvang. Pretty much every other hunter I know is hoping and wishing that when they finally kick the bucket, a Valkyrie comes and takes them off to Valhalla so they can keep on fighting to the end of the world. But, I don't know, that just sounds exhausting to me. I want to get the chance to rest once I finally go. Now, Yama is an interesting one. I think his story is kind of cool. Supposedly, Yama was the first human to ever die. So by precedence, he was put in charge of ruling the dead and the underworld by the other Hindu deities. However, Yama actually only collects the souls of sinners after he has judged them, and then takes them off to punish them for eternity. Not really sure who takes the righteous souls in this case, or if they're just trusted to find their own way. I haven't been able to figure that one out. Another Greek one. I guess Charon technically counts. Doesn't really go out and collect the dead. He just ferries them over the river Styx and Acheron. But I suppose the only real qualification is guiding the dead to the afterlife. So as long as you're over some part of it, you count well enough. Just don't worry about seeing this guy out and about on the hunt. Doesn't really leave his boat much, as far as I've heard. Sholot is another one, or pretty sure he is at least. I've heard some stories that he's in charge of the process of guiding souls, but has some sacred dogs that he delegates the work to while he guides the sun through the underworld. 
Other stories say that he does, in fact, guide souls as well. And it's a bit conflicting, but I'm going to say he counts. Now, if you adhere to the Aztec faith, I hope you're prepared for when Sholotor, his dogs, come for you. Because you've got a journey ahead of you when you die. Most psychopomps just take you to the underworld, let you figure it out from there. Thankfully, Sholot has the courtesy to help you through the eight layers of pain and suffering that you have to go through to get to the final ninth layer of the underworld and actually get to rest. Sounds like quite the process to me, but eh, you might get a cool dog out of it, so the deal isn't all that, I guess. Now, this next one, not much is known or said about Vance. From couple records, depictions, and stories we have of her. She's just a guide for the dead to get where they're supposed to go. She has one job, and she does it. Gotta respect her for that. Now, despite being dressed as a huntress, she's never really seen hunting anything. Maybe it's just to be prepared in case one of the souls she's guiding does try to make a run for it, but that's just my own speculation. Now, not to be confused with Charon... These are two very different beings. Chiron is often seen alongside Vanth, carrying around a massive hammer. Again, like Vanth, we don't have too much info on Chiron, though that doesn't keep folks from theorizing. A lot of folks think that Chiron is just there for extra muscle to guide the souls from demons, and but in my opinion, the more fun theory is that big hammer of his is what he uses to actually finish people off and cause the final transition from living to dead. Now... Ah, can't forget the Grim Reaper, of course. Much newer psychopomp on the scene by multiple centuries is tall, dark, and spooky here. This being was first sat around the latter half of the 1300s when the Black Death was making its rounds and decimating Europe's population, which gives us some interesting implications. Did a massive outbreak of death create a new psychopomp to pick up on the increased workload? Or, worse to think about... Did this new psychopomp start a major outbreak of death so it could get going? Original records do show the Reaper being rather forceful and cruel gatherer of souls, as opposed to a lot of more kindly or neutral psychopomps on this list I got. Looked like the Reaper was taking the souls and causing death rather than gathering them after. Though, admittedly, the records do start to show as time goes on. Grimm seems to calm down a little bit after the plague. Makes me wonder if this is how all psychopomps start out, causing major events of death to get themselves going and then mellowing out later on. But, again, just some speculation. Heibei Wuchang. This is actually the collective name for two connected entities, translated in English as the black and white impermanence. While both of them have the same job of transporting the dead, the difference is who they take. The white guard takes the righteous, while the black takes those who have sinned, which I think is kind of nice. That way you get an idea of what your afterlife is going to be like right off the bat, rather than having to wait and worry about it the whole time you're traveling to get there. Even Christianity has psychopomps, or one specifically, I should say, the Archangel Michael. He comes to claim the souls of the righteous and carries them up to heaven, apparently beating off demons the entire trip with a flaming sword. Now, how do we get those to be standard issue in our hunting packs, hmm? Wouldn't mind one of those myself. Another archangel charged with guiding souls is Azrael, though. This fellow's with Islam, not Christianity. An angel of death, he gets notes from God telling him when it is time for someone to die. Pray that if he ever comes to get you, you don't have to see what some call his true form. 
According to some records, we have Vazril. He looks like a blue ram with 70,000 foot limbs, which I'm assuming means legs, but I don't know for sure. Eyes in numerous places and 40,000 wings, half of which are made from iron rods, hooks, and scissors. Gracious angels are weird. Though, given more likely than not, you'll probably just get one of his lackeys instead of the angel of death himself, unless one of you happen to be a prophet of some kind. Dana is another psychopomp that's kind enough to let you know where you're going in the afterlife before you get there. If you were a good person, she appears as a beautiful young maiden and helps you cross the Shinvat Bridge over to the House of Song. If you weren't so good, however, she looks like a mean old crone and drags you off to the House of Lies, sometimes just by pushing you off the aforementioned bridge. Though, either way she appears, it says she's always finely dressed as a bunch of dogs with her. Dogs do seem to be fairly popular with psychopomps, even a couple places where the psychopomp is just a dog. I wonder where that came from. Even the Northern Lights, apparently, form of psychopomp. Creep people up in Canada say the lights are previous souls of the deceased dancing and singing to convince newly departed souls to come up and join them. Now, never been much for big parties with a lot of flashing lights myself, but I can see how that could be an appealing start to an afterlife. I mean, even some uh, living people that are connected well enough with the afterlife that they can cross between our world and the next are nice enough to help some lost souls get to where they're going, which has to be an interesting side hustle, if you ask me. On a similar note, for some people, their ancestors act as their psychopomp when they die. Now that is something that I would appreciate personally. I don't know about y'all, but some of these other psychopomps are freaky. I'd much rather just have my grandpa come pick me up like he used to after school. That'd be a very welcome sight upon death. <laughs> and kind of like I was saying with the dogs earlier, sometimes psychopomps are just animals. Sometimes living, sometimes spiritual, but all in all, an animal. Dogs are popular for this role, as are a couple different kinds of birds, mostly the carrion eaters like crows and vultures, which I guess makes sense. But there are plenty of other animals that do the job too. I've heard of deer doing it, cats, fish in one case, but I didn't get that story from a very reputable source, so I wouldn't quote me on that one. Yeah, that seems to be about the list I've got. Now, aside from the fact that you're going to be around psychopumps a lot, there is another reason that I wanted to make this the second chapter we go over. Something important that every new hunter needs to learn quickly. As Emmanuel said, and as I have and will continue to reiterate, you do not try to stop a psychopomp from reaping someone. The lesson to learn from this is that you cannot save everyone. By all means, do first aid on a wounded person, perform CPR if you know how, and definitely take people to a hospital. But if someone dies, that's the end of it. There are so many stories that you'll hear, some true and some not, given of hunters that have tried to stop a psychopomp from doing their job, and it never goes well. It's usually with good intentions, sure, they try to stop them from taking a kid or a family member or something, that's noble and all, but it's a fool's errand. Like I said earlier, I'm not sure if all psychopomps can kill people, but enough of them can, and they certainly will if you try to get in their way. They'll take you and the person you're trying to save off to the next life, but... In my opinion, there's a worse outcome that you can cause. Most of these psychopomps don't have specific names of people to come get. They just have a quota. 
Sure, you might be able to stop them from taking your grandma, but that just means they're going to go next door and grab whoever's there. They don't care so long as the numbers match up and they can keep whatever eternal balance they're working under. So, get it in your head soon that you cannot save everyone. You're going to watch people die, some of them in horrifyingly gruesome ways, and most of them will just be innocent people in the wrong place at the wrong time. A lot of hunters come into this job all macho, willing to die for the greater good and all, but not many of them are ready to live with what they are going to see and do. So do yourself a favor and go see one of the many therapists that the organization hires. There's at least one in every HQ building, and their services are part of your benefits. You can go see them anytime you need to. There's nothing weak or shameful about it, as much as some hunters will try and tell you that there is. I, for one, go and talk to one of them after every hunt. It's the only thing that's keeping me as sane as I am. It's a little of a bar that's that is. <laughs> but taking care of your mind is just like taking care of a weapon or a tool. If you don't make time for maintenance, it will force you to make time, and it probably will not be at a convenient moment either. Trust me, a mental breakdown on the hunt is one of the top worst things that can happen to you in this line of work easily. And if you aren't comfortable seeing a therapist, at least find a friend or someone that you can talk to about this. I've lost too many friends of mine because they tried to keep it all bottled up and self-medicate with their poison of choice. You don't have to fight all of your monsters alone. Well, that might have been a bit too deep for chapter two, but it's, it's important. Why don't we wrap it up there, huh? Okay, and that there is Chapter 2 of Icy Monsters. Got a little deeper, but I thought it would be good to set that precedent that it is something that can happen on this podcast early on. So, thank you for joining me again, and I hope to see you next time.